Well, it's good to see everybody again the second second time here in the barn. And um, you know, every week when I'm working on preaching, I uh, a lot of times I feel the pressure of wanting to be able to communicate to you guys what I'm seeing in God's Word, and I want to be as accurate as I can. Um, and I felt that pressure more this week than I have in the past, and I think the main reason is because of the subject matter, which is the fear of God and fear in general. How do, how do I adequately, in all of my shortcomings, communicate that kind of fear, right? I mean, maybe we could shake the barn some way. Is that, I don't know, that's probably not a good idea to rig up something to shake the barn while we're under it, but I mean... The disciples are filled with terror because there's a storm that's about to sink their boat in the middle of the night. Um, and then the rescue turns out to be scarier than the storm itself. Um, so I, I, I just feel like I need to pray again and just really ask that the Holy Spirit would work through this. Um, I can't recreate any of that. I can't make you feel any of that. Um, nor, nor should I try. But I, I hope that we really get the, what the Spirit has for us today. So, Father, Lord, we just ask that you send your Spirit right now. Lord God, that you would move um, through your Word. God, that we would understand what you have for us each individual to do today. Lord, we do just praise you and glorify you as our Creator. And as the one that stepped in, uh, Jesus, to fill the place that we had. I'm just always just confronted by the lyric in that song that you climbed a hill that you made so that you would die for us. Lord, you willingly went to solve the problem. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we give you the glory and help us to understand your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've just come out of Mark 4, the latter, beginning of Mark 4 where he's talking about the parable of the sower, the parable of the four soils. And remember, we spent a couple of weeks on that, looking at it from a couple of different angles. Talking about this idea of how, like, there's two kinds of soils that don't produce much fruit or any, and then there's a good kind of soil that does produce fruit. And remember, what are the what are the two soils that don't produce fruit? What are they? Thorny soil and the rocky soil. Remember how when he explained the parable, he said thorny or the rocky soil is 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 it doesn't have enough roots. And so when the sun comes up, it it withers and it dies. And he said, what that is is like fears of the world. Persecution comes. So it's, it's like, hey, I'm really excited about this Jesus and following him and his gospel, but when the fear comes into my life of some kind, I, I can't deal with that, and I have to give in to that fear. I have to run from that fear. I can't follow Jesus anymore. And then remember, the thorny soil was the cares and concerns of the world, desires of the world. It said the deceitfulness of riches. In other words, you're having a good time. This is a great world. This is a great life. I get everything that I need and enjoy. But that becomes our greatest desire. Because that's our greatest desire. We turn out to not be fruitful. We're not desiring God. And I didn't talk to everybody, but I think pretty much everybody that I talked to, including myself, described their life as most often in the thorny side. Like, in other words, not that we're without fear. We do experience fear. But for the most part, especially in Loudoun County, we've got it pretty good. And where our struggle is is in the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of the world. That's more often than not where most of us are in that thorny soil, including myself. And, and I think it's a really interesting that the very next place that Mark 
the Holy Spirit through Mark takes us is this idea of fear and the fear of God. And the more that I've realized in studying this, this passage that the solution, the ultimate solution, whether you are in the thorny soil and you're struggling with, is Jesus my greatest desire or are these things? Or if you're in the rocky soil and the struggle is the fear of the world versus the fear of God, the solution is a right fear of God. Like getting my fear of God right. And we're going to walk through and try to understand that. Because keep this in mind. Jesus so far, he has commanded demons and they've obeyed. And, and you know, that makes sense to us in some level because a demon is a, a volitional being that can make decisions. Okay, then, he, then he's commanding diseases and they are obeying. Well, that, that's not a, diseases don't make decisions, but he's deciding for them and the disease is obeying. But we've, but it's still, we've, we've, we've heard of miracle cures, we've heard of things happening. I mean, everybody's heard stories of, you know, even you know, in the secular and other religious world where diseases have been cured, and it's a mystery of why, maybe it was a miracle. But now he's commanding the weather. That doesn't happen. Like, that's another level, but he is obeying, or the weather is obeying, but we don't obey. So he commands demons, he commands diseases, he commands storms, and they all obey. But he commands us, and we struggle. And I think it's because we do not fear God. I think that we spend a lot of time, maybe in our own life, especially if you're like me and you're in the thorny soil, you spend a lot of time emphasizing the cuddly, nice, kind, approachable, forgiving, merciful Jesus. You know, up on the screen, I've got Isaiah 53, uh, latter part of verse 2. It says, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. That, that approachable, normal guy, I think we take him for granted sometimes. And we just kind of like, well, he's just Jesus. He, he's great. I got him. He comes with me. I always think about, you know, some ladies have those little tiny chihuahuas that they put in their purse. And they, you know what I mean? It's like, have you guys seen that little child chihuahua sitting head out of the purse? And it's like, that's the way I treat Jesus sometimes. It's like, he just goes with me. I got him with me. I talk to him. But where I'm going is where he's going, not the other way around, right? He, he's like a little toy that's in my purse, in my bag. I don't care, you know. Let's be clear. So, and so Isaiah 53 is the Jesus we like, and we forget the Isaiah 6 version of God, which, by the way, remember in the early part of Isaiah, or excuse me, Mark 4, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6. Let me just read to you some of this God. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was, was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes 
has seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I mean, he is cowering in fear. When God speaks, the whole place shakes. You know, think about the Jesus that appears on the island of Patmos. Remember, the apostle John, who was referred to the gospel, in the Gospels as the beloved disciple. This is, this is the John who... Uh, in the Last Supper, he's laying his head on Jesus' shoulder. But on the island of Patmos, Jesus appears to him. He hears the voice of Jesus. He turns around and sees Jesus in all of his glory. And in Revelation 1, it says that John fell to his face as if he were dead. <clears throat> In Hebrews, Jesus is described as a consuming fire. And I, I just love how C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Wish, and the Wardrobe describes Aslan as a good king but not a safe lion. And there's this interaction that the beaver, Mr. Beaver, has with Susan. And I'm going to try to do the voices. He says, Aslan is a lion, the, the lion, the great lion. And then Susan said, oh, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall rather be nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said the Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Aslan is not the chihuahua that goes in the purse. He is a fierce, untamed, wild lion who is the king. And that's the way Jesus is. Is Jesus gentle or is he a pro or is he scary? And the answer is it's a little bit of both. And I think that until we fully understand and appreciate the fear of God, the healthy fear of God, we will struggle with the desires of the world. We will struggle with fears that seem great in our lives. I mean, just think about, like, if, if, if you saw a cuddly little uh, baby bear, so cute. It's like, you'd be so tempted, I want to touch it, I want to I hold it, I want to play with it. Look at it playing, it's so cool. But then if mama bear came around, I mean, all temptation to touch the bear is gone. It's like, I, I don't, no, okay, but I don't, I no longer want to touch that bear, right? Instantly gone. And that's terror, Right? If that mama bear came at you, you'd just be filled with terror. You might just pass out, even. You'd be so full of terror. But the fear of God is not terror. It's not like that mama bear. I think it's more of a reverence. It's, it's an awe. And I just love the way Psalm 31, 19 describes the fear of God. I've got it up on the screen. He says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you. You know, and, 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 and see the parallel treatment here. He is putting refuge and fear of God in parallel with one another. In other words, they're complementing. He, he's saying the same thing, but in a different way. So I think that the fear of God is this, and I've got this on the screen as well. The fear of God is the fear of not being with God. The fear of not being with God. I want to be with him. You know, I, I, I 
love the example of this in the movie version of Lord of the Rings and also the book version of the Lord of the Rings. You guys remember when Bilbo has his party? For those of you who've read the book or seen the movie, it's been a while since the movie came out. But after his party, he's going to sneak out, right? Remember, he goes to his house, and he's packing his things, and Gandalf, his old friend, is there with him, the wizard. And Gandalf's saying, what about the ring? Are you also going to leave that to your nephew, Frodo? And, and Bilbo says, yes, yes, of course. It's up on the mantle. And, and Gandalf goes to look for it, and then Gan Bilbo realizes, no, actually, it's in my pocket. And he pulls it out, and he starts looking at it. He says, why should I give it to Frodo? I'll just take it with me. He's like, but it's, it's my precious. It's my precious. And then Gandalf says, you're not the only one who's called it precious. And he's like, well, I don't want you to take it from me. And then you, know, you start to have an argument. And then I love the way that Peter Jackson, the movie, portrayed it. You, you know, Gandalf starts to turn on all of his wizard power, right? And he, the, the, the lights start to get dim, and Gandalf seems to get bigger and bigger. And then he, the house starts to shake. And, Ga and Gandalf yells at him, and he says, do not... Uh, uh, confuse me with a conjurer of cheap tricks. And Bilbo is just, you know, aching with fear over in the corner. And then it, the lights come back on and calms down, and Bilbo runs into his arms. And he's just holding Gandalf really tight. And he says, I'm your old friend. I'm not trying to steal from you. I'm trying to help you. And I think that's a picture of the fear of God. Bilbo wants to be with Gandalf not run from him, because that's terror. Terror makes you run the other way. But he respects, and he's in awe of Gandalf's significant, significant power. And, and I think that another great example of that is toddlers. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, how many times do parents save the lives of their children? I mean, literally save the lives of their children, right? I mean, and yet toddlers are, all, most of the time, they're completely confused, you know, oblivious to this reality, right? I mean, it's like, don't eat that. Don't touch that. You know, it's like, they grab a big knife. It's like, you got to you know, grab it out of their hand really fast. It's like, they're running into the road. You grab them by the belt. It's like, you save their lives, like, probably multiple times a day, right? And the kid is confused. Like, 99% of the time, the kid has no clue that you just saved their life. But there's that 1% of the time where they get it. And they run to you. And they know that this is the safe place. I am safe in mom's arms, in dad's arms, under their protection. And so I think if truly we feared God, there would be no other place that we'd want to be. We would want to be in his protection, in his refuge, in the fear of God. The fear of God sets all other fears and terrors in their place. The fear of God takes away the desires of the world. Because I have him, and he is right there with me. I mean, it's like if Jesus were to walk in on you in that moment of temptation or whatever, it's like, I, I don't want that anymore. I want to be with you. And, I, and so I think the question we have to say, and I want to walk through today, is like, okay, so how do I cultivate in my life I'm using that word intentionally because we've been talking about soils. How do I cultivate in my life a healthy fear of God? Like, I, I don't want to just start to try to put those things away or try to just ignore the fears. I want to make God bigger in my life. I want the fear of God to rule my heart and who I am.
And to summarize it, I'd say I, I cultivate a fear of God by feeding my mind, my soul, and my heart with God. I'm going to walk through each of those three to get here. So first of all, I cultivate a fear of God by, number one, feeding my mind with the truth of God. Feeding my mind with the truth of God. You know, we, we live in an information age. And it is information overload. I mean, just constant flowing at us. But is the truth of God, how does it fit? What's the ratio, ratio of that input of information relative to all the other stuff in your life? And I think if that ratio is out of balance or it's not right or it's wrong in some way, then you're going to have a significant problem. Your mind is not being fed with the truth of God. His scripture, that's the main source for us, is being fed by, you know, maybe it's just entertainment. YouTube, Netflix, Amazon Prime. I mean, just endless content, just stuff. Or maybe it's like the news cycle. I mean, like the 24-hour non-stop information news cycle. And you're like, did you hear about that? Okay, i got to study and research that. i got to figure out, i got to go figure out what's, who's saying this about that, and i got to find it. You know, it's like just, it's never ending. And I, I think that for the most part in all those things, we actually don't necessarily need all that in our lives. Not to mention the fact that the Word of God is not feeding our minds. And if it's not feeding our minds then the desires of the world, the fears that come from the world, I think will become more and more dominant. And, it, and just think about, like, let's just take, so I want my mind to be fed with his truth, not other things. Now, now again, I'm not saying that you can't have those things. It's not necessarily wrong. I'm talking about ratios. What, what's the primary feed of information? His truth or something else. Like, let's just take one idea, like his presence. The presence of God. You know, let, me, let me just quickly walk through a couple of verses from Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is all about God knowing us and being present with us. Um, Jesus is on this boat. And he has told his disciples, what does it say right at the very beginning? I lost my bookmark. Hold on. What does Jesus tell his disciples in the very first part? Somebody call it out for me. What does he say? Let us go across to the other side. Let us go across to the other side. That's the word of God in their life right now. Where are they going? They're going to the other side. And he also is asleep on the cushion of the storm, he, or uh, on the stern. He, he's not worried about this storm. Now, there are experienced fishermen and seamen here that are that know the Sea of Galilee and know the storms, but this is a particularly bad one. It's at night, the waves, are, it says, are coming over the side, starting to fill it up. So to be afraid is not necessarily unusual, right? That that's, makes sense. But God has said, Jesus himself has said, we're going to the other side. So let's, let's listen to some other words that God says to us. Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. We've all witnessed each of us do that this morning, but he witnessed every single time you did that in your life. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path 
and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. You know, your spouse knows some of the goofy, weird things that nobody else knows about you, annoying little habits, you know, or well, he knows all of those. Every single one of those things about you, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. I think, based on that passage, that God is more present with us in the, every moment in our life than Jesus was present with the disciples sleeping in the stern of that boat. That's Jesus in his human form. He is unconscious and he's sleeping. But God is, and the Holy Spirit is at present in our lives. And he knows and sees everything. And so we can be tempted with, God, where are you? Are you present? Are you not here? It's like, what is feeding the truth of my mind? Is it his truth or is it other things? And then the second thing, I need to cultivate a fear of God by feeding my soul with the majesty of God. You know, at the end of the passage that we're looking at in Mark here, the disciples ask the key question. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, again, we can understand a volitional being like a demon obeying. We can understand maybe a disease. It's like miracle cures happen. But the wind, like... Is that ever, I mean, is that even done? Anything, you know, in any other world religion claim that kind of power? I mean, it's just never, never done. And they are gripped with a new kind of fear because they are seeing the full majesty of Jesus. And it caught them off guard. Like, we knew you were the Messiah. We knew there was something special about you. We've seen you do some incredible stuff. But now you're doing something that is actually scaring us more than the storm that was just here. And he rebukes it, it says, like a noisy kid. He just says, stop, stop. And I think we need to ask that question, and I think Jesus is asking you that question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Let me read some things. He is God Almighty. He is the Creator. He is transcendent. He is self-existent. He is omnipresent. He is unified. He is eternal. He is unchanging. He is glorious above all else. He is beauty. He is perfect. He is good. He is peace. He is holy. He is love. He is merciful. He is righteous. He is just. He is truth. He is all knowledge. He has all wisdom. He does and accomplishes all his will. He is completely free and dependent on nothing. And he is all powerful. And I think Jesus asks us the same questions he asked his disciples in the text. Why are you so afraid? I mean, my, my majesty, 
I am God. Why are you so afraid? And I think that that is actually a really good exercise for you to take. It's like if in those moments where you are feeling the fear, like, can I face this? Can I do this? Can I confront this person and deal with this issue or whatever it might be? If you're feeling fear, answer the question. Don't just, don't just feel it, but try to go from feelings to actual words on a page maybe. Why exactly am I afraid in this moment? And like write it down. I think that's a, a, a useful and good thing to do. And then list out those reasons. Why am I afraid? And then ask yourself, what do I believe about my Savior? About Jesus? Have you still no faith? I've got to feed my soul on the majesty of God. And again, I'm reminding of, of Isaiah when he sees the vision of God in his throne room. He says, woe is me, a man of clean lips. It's like he, all the other fears of the world are now no longer an issue for him. And I feel like that really goes into the final one, is that I've got to cultivate a fear of God by feed, feeding my heart with the love of God. And you know, the more that I have thought about this passage and just, I mean, just again, how incredible God is and how he has worked out the order of all of these stories and recounts of what Jesus did and now going to the storm. It's just absolutely incredible. I hope you guys are as amazed as, as I am because look at the question the disciples ask of Jesus in verse 38. I mean, this is their moment of panic. I mean, I... I I've seen raging storms on oceans, and it looks pretty scary. I can't imagine actually being on a smaller boat, especially like a first century boat. There's no Coast Guard that's going to come rescue you. And it's at night, and the waves are filling up the boat. And they asked him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I mean, just think about the irony of that question. I mean, like, what is the whole reason that Jesus is on that boat? Because he cares that they are perishing. That is the entire reason that Jesus came. Because he cares that we are perishing. I mean, it, 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 is, it is, again, like the clueless toddler who has no idea what you should really be scared of. Scared of. No idea what's really on the horizon. They are perishing for something that is far worse than the storm that they're in. Their sin and the justice of God that's coming. Who is really asleep on that boat? <clears throat> and that, this whole thing, it, it, it reminds me of another instance in the Gospels that's like this, but a little bit different, but it's far more serious, far more serious. And you have a growing and powerful storm. You have great trauma that's being experienced. And you also have people that are falling asleep during all of that. And it's the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, in that moment, is feeling the wrath of God 
the waves are starting to break over his boat. It is starting to fill up his boat. He cannot sleep because of that. It, it, the Bible describes that he, he's filled with agony because of what he's anticipating. I mean, the, the description of the death sounds horrible, but I don't think we even fully understand, and can fully understand the wrath of God, all of the sin of the world, being the justice being brought on one person right then. And he goes to his disciples and he says, pray. And, you know, maybe they, they're like, okay, and they probably, like, you know, start praying and they just sort of start to nod off because they don't get it. I mean, I think if they understood, I mean, you, you, you guys know how it is, right? It's like there are times like you're reading your Bible maybe at night and it's like you just doze off, right? But, but then something happens that scares you and you're like, Phew, I'm awake. I'm, I'm awake now, you know, or driving down the, you know, at night, you know, and it's like, I don't remember changing lanes and it's like, okay, now I'm awake. I'm awake because I just had a brush with de death. Jesus feels the reality of the storm that's right on there, right there. Does Jesus care that the disciples are perishing? He even asked his father multiple times if there's any other way. If there's any other way, we'll do it that way. But Father, your way be done, not my way. <clears throat> and he comes back and he finds his disciples time after time, cluelessly, asleep. They are clueless, but Jesus is not. Just think about that. We are asleep, but Jesus is awake. The moment we need him more than any other time. Jesus understands the storm that you are in. He has been there. And just listen to this. Does he care that you are perishing? Does he care that you are suffering? Does he care that you are in pain? Does he care that you don't know what to do? Does he care that you feel trapped? Does he care that you are lost and you don't know the way you should go? Yes. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. Jesus cares immensely. Is Jesus safe? No, but he is good. And we're going to transition now to communion. And what a great time to be reminded of the love of God, the wrath of God that has been satisfied in Jesus through his blood and his body. That's what we're doing. And so we cultivate a healthy fear of God when we feed our minds with his truth. Are you feeding your mind with his truth? What, what is feeding your mind? When we feed our mind with his majesty, you know, it's like take the truths of God and dig into them. What does it mean that he is transcendent? What does it mean that he is all-powerful? What is the implications of him being present everywhere? For him being eternal, no beginning, no end. And we need to feed our souls, our hearts, with God's love, with his love, because he does care that we are perishing. <laughs> he does care that we are perishing. And brothers and sisters, I, I just have become convinced 
that if we find ourselves in the rocky soil of fear or in the thorny soil of the cares and concerns of the world, it's because we have a low view of fear of God. We don't fear him. We don't want to be in his presence. I think that another really powerful picture of this is that I think it's in Exodus 33 where Moses is on the mountain with God, and remember he says to God, show me your glory. And God says, okay, but you can't look at my face because any man that looks at my face will die instantly. So I'm going to put you in the little cleft of the rock, this little safe spot, and then I'm going to come past you. And you're going to, it's, it's, like, it's like being in a perfectly safe little spot with this raging power and storm all around you. It's not, it's not terror because you're safe. That is the fear of God, refuge of God, being with him. I'm afraid of not being in his presence. That's the fear of God. I want to be with him. I want to be with him, trembling in his arms like Bilbo. So I guess we could, I'll pray and then we'll go into communion. Is that how we should do this? Okay. Father, I, I just thank you for this time. And Lord, we just pray that, Lord, that you would just increase our understanding of your truth. Lord, fill our minds more and more. Lord, make us disciplined in our habits and, and the, the inputs that we allow. Protect us from the lies that the world is trying to tell us. And Lord, help us to just desire to spend time in your word and chase after your truth. And God, help us to, to just be more and more in awe of your majesty and your glory and your amazing, just everything about you. Lord, give us visions and and, and uh, better ideas of uh, like along the lines of Isaiah 6 so we can see your glory and see in your throne room and like like John on the island of Patmos to see you and all of your white shining fire consuming fire that you are Lord and then also Lord feed our hearts with your love God so that we can just live our lives and all the storms and the challenges that we're in the difficulties the temptations without a question in our mind that you love us, that you do care for us and what we're in. Lord, build our, our love our, of, of your glory and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So as... as uh